Hi, welcome to the ACE Tip Podcast. We come to you from the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, and via the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, of the National Institute on Drug Abuse's Justice Opioid Community Innovation Network, or JCOIN. I'm your host, Danielle Rudes, Associate Professor of Criminology, Law, and Society, and the Deputy Director at ACE, and one of the leads on the Capacity Building Corps of the CTC for JCOIN. This podcast is all about translating science into sense. It's about helping criminal justice practitioners, students, and everyday people learn about cool developments in the justice research world, but without all the dryness of the ivory tower. There's a lot of really great research out there, and we'd like to bring it to you in bite-sized doses to help you understand it and be able to use it. No PhD required. Each episode will break down scientific research into a 12 to 15 minute podcast. You can listen to it wherever you are and when it's convenient for you. We'll give you the science, but in a way that makes sense. We also finish with an explanation that translates the research into real words that explain why it's important and how and why you might want to use it. So let's get started. The researcher sits at her desk poring over data. 45 in-depth interviews, hundreds of codes, and one big red glaring theme jumping out at her, cynicism. The interviews drip with it. The participants have no faith that the agency is capable of implementing the new program. The researcher grabs her notepad and jots down one line, poor organizational climate for change, before closing her computer and heading home. Organizational culture and climate are nebulous but powerful concepts, the perfect makings of a buzzword. They are often thrown around, not fully understood, and generally used to explain away all sorts of things, like why an innovation didn't stick, or what's affecting a company's ability to turn a high profit, or why is there high employee turnover rate, just to name a few. Those of us interested in applied research, either conducting it or participating in it, will invariably run into our old friends, culture, and climate. We will try to understand it, try to use it, or try to change it, particularly as we focus on the use of evidence-based policies and practices in our various fields of interest. And scholars and practitioners should talk about how acceptable new technologies and practices are to organizations. And they should be concerned with how we measure the success of new policies, how policies that worked in research will be practically carried out, how evidence-based policies and practices can best be implemented, and yes, how culture and climate impact organizations' abilities to change. Our first of two articles suggests that we do just that. It uses culture and climate in the traditional sense, as an independent variable, that impacts our dependent variable of interest, such as how well an organization meets its goals. But perhaps we should focus less on the impact of culture and climate on other outcomes of interest and turn our lens to culture itself. The second article challenges us to reconsider our ideas about organizational culture and think of it as a worthy dependent variable on its own right. In other words, something important to study on its own and not just a thing that might impact what we want to study. First, the traditional. In their 2006 article, Anthony Hamilgarn, Charles Glisson, and Lawrence James describe an organization's climate as the employee's shared perceptions of how their workplace impacts their psychological well-being. While individual people in an organization may experience negative feelings toward their job, 
Organizational climate is the members' shared sentiment. Hemelgarn and colleagues are particularly concerned with the culture and climate of service organizations and its impact on employees' abilities to establish relationships with their clients and provide help to the populations they serve. Studies on service organizations have found that those with more positive climates produce better outcomes for the people they serve. For example, in a prior study, Glisson and Hemelgarn found that service organizations with better climates yielded better psychosocial outcomes and more consistent assistance for the children they serviced. Hemelgarn, Glisson, and James also look at culture and its impact on how these organizations implement new procedures and tools. They define organizational culture for us as the norms, behaviors, and expectations of members. In other words, an organization's culture can be thought of as, quote, the way things are done, unquote. They note the stability of culture as the new members are socialized into an organization's existing culture and, like climate, culture can impact a service organization's ability to serve its population. For example, in 2001, Hemelgarn, Glisson, and Dukes examined the impact of culture on emergency room practices. The researchers found that some emergency rooms established practices of keeping families together, addressing concerns, and relating care and comfort to families, whereas in others, the element of support was not a valued behavioral norm, and they relayed less information to the families. Thus, the authors concluded that emergency rooms that placed less emphasis on care would challenge and resist the implementation of family care practices. Hemelgarn and colleagues also cited literature pointing to the challenges that culture can present when implementing technologies and organizations. In a 1998 study by Martin and colleagues, these authors looked at the practices of an organization serving children and their custody placements and found that caseworkers were not using assessment tools when making decisions for children, but rather maintained their organizational norms of referring the children to various placements and services. Hemelgarn and colleagues aim to illustrate the importance of culture and climate as it relates to implementing evidence-based practices. They make the case that these concepts matter as they impact our outcomes of interest and they conclude by advising us to develop better methods of studying these features of organizations, as well as taking them into account when planning implementations. If Hemelgarn and colleagues pass the baton, then Danielle Rudes, that's me, and Shannon Magnuson picked it up and kept running. In our 2018 article, Scapegoating Culture, we argue that despite its importance for studying or implementing organizational change, culture does not have a clear definition, and it is challenging to incorporate into research. We advocate for a better understanding of culture, but one of the challenges to better understanding culture is this perception of culture as a variable that's accountable for implementation failure, rather than something to be explored as a concept unto itself. By taking for granted that we understand what culture is, we miss a lot. In prisons, for example, where we did our study, culture plays a complex role. We found that within these institutions, there is not just one culture. Certainly, residents and staff have different experiences, but even among staff, there can exist different cultures. Using qualitative methods, we discovered that different shifts, positions, and units can create differing cultures within a single prison. But we agree with Hemelgarn and colleagues that to accurately understand how culture impacts organizations, we need to develop better measures. Quantitative measures of culture, because they are deductive in nature, 
are naturally infused with preconceived notions and missed nuance. In other words, if you create a measure of culture using a scale, then you already have determined to some degree what culture is and what it is not. However, where inductive qualitative measures do allow for greater representation of culture, qualitative examinations of culture may fall victim to less rigorous methods, such as poorly constructed sampling methods. For example, qualitative researchers might aggregate their data and analyze it rather than comparing subgroups within their samples, such as units, shifts, or demographics. Let's think back to our researcher sitting at her desk poring over data. Let's suppose that overnight she had an epiphany. She thought back to her conversations with different individuals and felt she was missing a key nuance in her categorization of cynicism. As she read back over her data, she realized that some individuals expressed a reserved optimism that appeared somewhat cynical, while others expressed more bitter cynicism, and others seemed almost happy that the innovation was doomed to fail. As she checked her attitude coding, she found a surprising pattern. The various forms of cynicism seemed to cluster by unit. If you listen to the podcast on justice cultures, then you know the importance of collaboration with justice staff for gaining and maintaining access to your research sites. But that collaboration is also important methodologically for studying culture. Establishing trust and legitimacy with your research partner will create a comfortable workspace, but will also open up a world of artifacts, values, and underlying assumptions that make up the amorphous concept of culture which you can then explore collaboratively with your research partners to better understand this elusive concept. The work of Helmogarn and colleagues in social service organizations and myself and Shannon Magnuson in prisons makes clear the need to further consider culture and climate in organizational change. Culture and climate likely do impact the outputs and outcomes of social service organizations, but paradoxically, one of the greatest challenges to better understanding how culture or climate impact outputs or outcomes is the very focus on culture and climate as an independent variable. Treating them as independent variables ends up baking in some unexplored assumptions about the nature of culture or climate. However, By continuing to use rigorous qualitative methods, researchers can more deeply and accurately explore these concepts. That will, in turn, enrich our knowledge of how to improve the organization's task with our important social functions. That wraps another episode of the ACEDIT podcast, where we translate science into sense. Also, remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language and short knowledge burst which are essentially 30-second overviews of all the research we cover on the JCoin website. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here, and they will definitely help you translate this research to your staff, friends, colleagues, or students. Additionally, we'd like to thank NIDA, Dr. Faye Taxman, and all the students and staff at ACE, including our podcast mastermind, Shannon Magnuson, who is the brainchild behind this podcast. Two additional notes. If you're a researcher and you'd like us to consider using your research for an upcoming podcast, send it to me at drudes at gmu.edu. If you'd like to support our podcast to keep the sense coming, tell your colleagues and staff about ACEDIT or assign us to your students. Thanks for listening. Please tune in again soon for another episode of the ACEDIT podcast, where we translate science 
in descents.